95 of the Like Shed Podcast, Richard S. Greenfield, Walter, whatever the middle initial is, Pisic, Brandon A. Ross. This might this might be the most geographically diverse podcast in the history of the Light Shed podcast. I'm pretty sure. Um, well, you and I are in the same time zone, actually, Rich. But different countries. Walt. We're all in different countries for the first time ever. That is true. Walt is in Europe. He's the closest to uh, conflict, I guess. Walt, how's it going? You mean there? war? You mean war? Yeah, not many people are really. Uh, talking about, although my taxi driver here in Roma um, did, was live streaming a press conference and I saw the president flying in and out of his headquarters when we were having lunch uh, a couple times. So I don't know what he's doing, but the president of Italy. Yeah. Hopefully we can support Ukraine. My daughter's got a couple of uh, fellow roommates that are Ukrainian and their parents are kind of scrambling now in the Ukraine right now. So it's an unfortunate situation hopefully our leadership has some some type of game plan to help these people (laughs) yeah i'm i'm less confident in that um but we'll say it uh it sounds like a horrible situation all around at least we're still part of nato yes yes for now not to bring not to bring up that situation (laughs) we probably will get to that later i think we have a, a slide tied to that so yeah, so we can come back do to we? that. Do we, well, Rich? Yeah, sort Rich, of. What have, what have you been doing in our absence this week? I've actually been very productive. It's been a very productive week. Um, earnings slowing down finally. I mean, a little bit of earnings yesterday, but earnings finally slowing down and generally being productive. So um, it's been a good week. What, I mean, I, What does productive look like for you in your, in your new positive life out? Cleaning out emails, literally cleaning out and responding to emails. Are, that are you going to become? So you're going to respond to emails now? Yeah. <laughs> because so, I, have, I haven't seen that. I do get emails here in Rome. In fact, my internet is quite fast here. Uh, I have fiber. I, I, I can actually. I'll tweet out some pictures of some of the fiber connections. So I am getting emails. I have not seen any receipts of emails previously sent. So where? What stage are you in this? This clean out of the email box? Just to. Just to. Well, ask. By the way. When I saw Rich last week and I looked at his phone, he had 67,500 unread emails. So are you down to 64,000 now, Rich? If I'm going to be completely honest in my new, I want to be completely honest with you guys. It is now (laughs) (laughs) 73,000. In other words, in your week of productivity, you haven't read any email any of us sent. Which is so probably why. So for our, for our followers that are that are from Spectrum, they're going to blame it on your clogged computer inbox as opposed to their their crappy internet connection that they're providing you at your well, home. I don't think this has to do with internet connection. No, I know it doesn't. Think- but you know, you know, Spectrum likes to make excuses for just about anything. Oh, it's not it's not us. It's all those emails in the inbox. I mean, Rich, it's amazing what your internet looks like in Italy versus my internet. I mean, I'm literally in Manhattan. Paying hundred plus, I don't even know, hundred and fifty dollars. I don't even know what I'm paying. Say, we were at this uh, winery, and some of the regulations here. I thought Westchester was bad. Like, if you want to grow a rose bush, you have to get permission. You can't cut down an olive tree. There's cobblestone everywhere. Everything's a historic site. Yet they have fiber to the apartment that we're staying in. It's crazy. Way to way to go, Cable crazy. Town and cable operators. <laughs> you're you're trailing fucking Rome. How did, so how tell, did us about, tell us about your record churn again while you don't invest in fiber. Oh, oh I didn't oh, tell well, you, Walt, you, you, while you were gone. On, this is going off the rails right now. <laughs> well, what's no, crazy? No, 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 no. I'm in Rome and I'm getting better internet than, than New Yorkers get. Like, what's going on in our country? But you're yeah, supposed but, to be on vacation and relaxing and you're getting worked relaxed. up about. Well, Rich got me worked up when he talked about cleaning out his email and I was just thinking about all the unresponded emails that <laughs> Well, the, the that, best part about it, bringing it back to the podcast, was that you had said you have certain window of time when, when you can do the podcast, and you put in there 8.45 a.m. on Friday, and Rich said that he never saw that. 
So he <laughs> never, you never saw it either. You never saw it either. Of course he did. I mean, you're being he never a sees douche, anything. Right? What do you, what do you, okay. whoa. Hey now. But I want to go back, but I want to go back. I want to, I want to go back to your comment on churn and the cable companies because Fubo gets onto their earnings call and is starting to talk about their record I love low how churn. He's trying to change the subject. Yeah, it's oh fine. God. I'm trying. Record low churn. So Fubo unreported metric. The, unreported metric. The cable companies and their record low churn. Yes, but okay. it was funny to see a new digital company, Fubo, now doing yeah. the exact same thing. Dude, it's amazing how many wireless customers that. It's amazing how many wireless customers, wireless home broadband customers exist, but somehow cable has record low churn. I wonder if they're going to continue to say that through 2022 is as both T-Mobile and Verizon ramp their home broadband customers. Record low churn. Record low um, churn. It's, it's just about gross ads, Walt. It's just about gross ads. That's the only yeah, problem. Sure. Home construction is really low okay. and nobody's moving anymore. Guys, can we get into the topic? Yes, really? we could. We could, but this is fun. Where I'm actually enjoying myself, but okay. I know, I know. Let's go. First slide. Let's go. Move it. Okay. We're beating a dead horse. Okay, so I want to play the audio. This is from Discovery reported earlier this week, yesterday, actually. And this was David Zaslav. He pledges cost discipline, says the tweet, after Warner Media merger, a streaming spending wars intensifies. Let's listen to Zaslav for a minute. So the first question is, how do we do when we come together? What happens to churn? What happens to growth? As I said, we are a real company. What I mean by that is we're going to be generating $8 billion or more in free cash flow. So we have plenty of money to spend. That already assumes that we're going to spend more money on content, but we're not going to we're not going to just spend just to figure to, to to have more content on the platform. The key to these platforms, which is true of free to air channels and cable channels, is you spend enough that you could nourish an audience that they want to spend time with you and that they feel that you're that 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 you're the place that they want to be and you're important. Loach. He has okay. such a way with words to nourish an audience. I love that. Yes, he but comes it, from it, a world where each of his networks needed one or two shows that justified their existence in a limited video offering. When there we weren't in a world of infinite content, infinite choice. And he does not necessarily understand how to build a large audience in this new world that we're in. Of course, he's limited by the fact that he has leverage right now. He needs to de-lever. But I don't know, Rich, is, is this a problem? If you're, if you're a content producer and the assumption among investors is that content producers are going to continue to increase at greater and greater rates because the demand from these platforms in a competitive situation is there. Does it, does this mean that maybe we're too optimistic? No. Well, first of all, I think you're missing sort of the subtext. Discovery's four and a half times levered. They can't just put. Well, I, I'm endless. not missing that subtext. I, I pointed that out to you. But just because Discovery <laughs> does, but, but just because what you said. No, but just because Discovery doesn't spend doesn't mean Apple's not going to spend. Doesn't mean Amazon's talking about this being the early days of their sports rights spending. Apple yep. just did a huge, the biggest live action movie deal in the history. Like, I mean, a, a massive deal with Skydance for live action on top of animation. So, yeah, sure, Discovery may not ramp spending dramatically. But I, I want to come back to, to me, the bigger thing is, is every tech company, Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, all these TikTok, you know, ByteDance, all these companies care about when they wake up in the morning is how do they get you to never leave? It's literally how do they capture Snapchat? How do we capture as much time per day? And you had a classic legacy media comment of it's just about having enough. Let's just have enough so that you come back and you don't leave. It's not about literally right. getting you to obsess. Immature. That to me is crazy because you want to raise price. You want to raise price. You want to drive other people to talk about it. You want buzz. I just think that's the that's the thing I worry about is it it's that not seeing what all of the tech companies know and how they function when you go into this digital world. It, now, it feels just very old school. Event eventually, Netflix. At least they say they're going to get to a point of maturity where margins are going to be able to 
really explode and reach whatever their peak margins are going to be because they don't need to continuously um, spend on additional content. That's what makes streaming eventually a good business. The question is, when do we reach that point? And is that possible for those who want to have make the make it into a real and a profitable long-term business as opposed to using it as a loss leader for something else, like maybe an Apple or an Amazon or others. There's going yeah. to be a point of, of maturity and spending. The question is when. And Zaz is basically saying that they, with the current assets he has, they are at or close to that point, which is fallacious. Yeah, well, it's, and it's also funny because I remember you and I sat at an Amazon meeting a couple of years ago or three years ago, probably now, and they were talking sort of, we walked out sort of thinking they were at the efficient frontier and they are clearly not. Well, it's, and the word, clearly it's the words, ramping. Well, it's the words that they use vis-a-vis general entertainment. The place that they are ramping now is not in that area. The Lord of the Rings project that everyone points to um, at whatever it is, $20 million an episode, wherever the fuck it is. That was greenlit well before that meeting that we're talking about because it was yeah. delayed multiple times. They've they've started to invest in sports. They see something in sports, probably as it relates to the e-commerce business and the potential unlock there. Um, I, who knows? Okay, let's move on. We've got Live Nation with uh, had an analyst day this week, Brandon. And I know you weren't at, but you were watching. No, it was it wasn't much of an analyst day. It was about 45, 30 to forty minutes of slides and um, some questions at the end. It was because their Liberty Analyst Day was delayed. Couple of things on Live Nation. First of all, live entertainment is completely on fire. The numbers that they put out. Um, in terms of how this you know, current 2022 is going, we're unfathomably high. Deferred revenue double um, over 2019. Um, number of tickets sold at this point in the year up 45%. Some of that, of course, especially on the deferred side, is the um, postponements um, from the pandemic. But overall, uh, live entertainment is seeing the opposite of what we're seeing in all the in this digital world where everybody is doing less of but um, i guess what i just step into is if, if demand is this crazy like if if there is so much demand for and concerts, supply by the way okay tons of supply but the demand is off the charts you know i mean if this was airlines they jacked the price disney world has jacked price twice in six yeah. months like why is concert so, prices not up 30 so percent? go back to the slide because I, I want to kind of speak to what's on the slide here. Um, so this was presented in what was called Amy Young's slide at the analyst day, and it shows data for Madison Square Garden. And you could see that the the average ticket price for the best seats for Lakers Knicks is $643. And then it gives some of the concerts. Dua Lipa being the highest Average ticket price in the best section, $277. Billy Eilish, $233. You could see a real relative underpricing to sports. Additionally, you could see what the average markup is for primary versus um, for secondary over oh, okay, primary. But I, but I want to stop concert. you. But I want to stop you. Huge. I want to stop you for a second. But I want to so stop you a for dis- a second. There's a disconnect, <laughs> and concert prices are, concert tickets are underpriced. But but here's what I want to but I want to start off with. There yep. is far more supply of sports. Like if, for a basketball game, there's a lot more Knicks basketball games or LA Laker basketball I mean, I games. I know what Broadway tickets are like now, but when you know Hamilton was out, those ticket prices were higher than the sports tickets. Tickets and those were every day, and it's the same fucking show. I mean, no offense to Broadway, I love Broadway, but like no, 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 no. Every show is different, but it's the same basic show over and over. There is an answer. There is an answer to this. I think Which is? one of the main reasons <laughs> that prices haven't come up <laughs> a lot is artist perception. No artist wants to be the one that's out there, especially when they um, their fan base is younger. 
to raise prices to astronomical rates that make it so only rich people can go to their shows, especially in the best section. So there is a balance between um, sort of audience, like keeping your fan base together and audience perception and the ability to unlock as many dollars as possible. What Live Nation has done is try and close that gap pretty actively, introducing things like platinum tickets, which have had a lot of uptake, especially this year. I think what you're going to see is continued compounding of much higher price prices. Now, 2022 shows over 2019, the last non-pandemic year, ticket prices are up 20%. You're not going to see 20% increases on average every year, but you're probably going to see mid to high single digit year after year after year increases, bringing um, tickets up to where they're supposed to be. And by the way, it's in the artist's best interests, despite perception. The narrative is that they're greedy, but by not doing it, they leave money on the table for scalpers in the secondary market to put that, that's out what there. i was going to say this whole thing ca- capture the ticket um prices and they earn as opposed to the artists who are rightfully the ones who should be earning i mean it's that explanation makes no sense to me i've seen so much stuff in in uh social um media about how self-centered some of these not every band is fish right there's a lot of self-centered um, artists out there that are that want to make as much money as possible and could give a shit about you know who's in the seats as long as they're paying them a ton of money. Like you can't tell me that like every artist is some like do go to not that cares every. about it. Not I, I every. Was, so then it but, only takes... but but you have an entire industry and there's not every band is the same. So I'll give you an example. Fish for the longest time, every seat in the entire building was the same price. That was it. And every show sold out instantly. Why? Because it was underpriced. In the last couple of years, they started doing platinum ticketing. They started doing for non-platinum tiered ticketing based on your location in the building. Some of the shows for summer have five different price points. That's something you absolutely never saw from Fish in the past. I'm in Mexico right now at their on location event, which is extremely expensive. If you want to have the best access, you have to pay another $250 a night for quote foundation tickets, some of which goes to charity. This is something you never saw before. So some artists are moving, you know, from that more egalitarian view. Okay, but there's still a big gap. And the narrative also that I've been hearing you guys talk about is people complaining about how no one makes Spotify money. So you can only make money on touring. So it makes no sense that you, that we're looking at ticket prices that are that's so disparate to what we can see on Broadway and sports that there's not some artists just significantly jacking those prices up and charging $800 or $1,000 or $1,500 for a prime ticket. That doesn't make sense. The, the Stones do, right? But then you have Radiohead, on the other hand, that... Every ticket, like every tour and probably the next one, is going to be like $70, even though but every the average ticket is still on the a secondary market but, is okay, like but, 500 <laughs> But is the chart real or not? Because this chart the is showing the stats. Okay. Well, all I know, hold on, guys. I don't give a shit, guys, about, give a shit about Radiohead or Fish. The bottom line is the overhaul number, it makes no sense that it's that much lower than sports that that's not sustainable that shows the oppor- is- that is the opportunity that they have and the ability as live nation if the promoters managers convince artists to utilize some of these pricing tools and to bring fans along such that it won't damage their reputation if they use them this is a once in a lifetime surge in demand this is a once in a lifetime opportunity that. dude that's, First that's of all, that's true. not I mean, true. And second of all, <laughs> prices have been disconnected for forever. This is well, that's, what I, that's them saying. Rapino has been talking about this forever. They're finally well, then he's, then doing he's a bad something CEO, to close the then, gap. Okay, so then he's a bad CEO, or there's bad managers that aren't that aren't uh, capitalizing on the on I, the disconnect here. What's taking so long? That's the question to Rapino. Then what's taking so long to hike? If the you at, if you ask him. 
the tough thing about the music business is dealing with the artists and how far they're willing to go because they, uh, they, a, some of them really care about their audience and others, maybe they don't necessarily care about the audience, but again, they care about their image a lot. And so you need to kind of change over time what's okay and what's not. And there have been changes, primary and secondary ticketing being mixed on Ticketmaster. Most artists at the beginning didn't want to do that. And Rapino basically had to hold their hands and get them to, to embrace it over time. And the bottom line was artists made more money because of it. And you have the same situation now with platinum ticketing uh, and okay. all of these other price levers. From an outsider's view, it's taking too long. So I don't give a shit about anything you just said. That's over time, fair. You, you, they are failing. Those managers and that company is then failing if they can't close that gap sooner. Walt, I, I think that you're just not understanding the nuance of working with artists, but I Maybe. respect that opinion. Maybe. So Trump launched Truth Social app. Um, I figured I should go on and see what it is, even though I was sort of nauseated by the thought. But I did it because I feel like from a research standpoint, I have to at least see what Truth Social is. And I went on and I put in an email address, not my actual email address, and tried to actually register. And it was told that I'm number 767,935 on the wait list, which sort of horrified me. Um, so I don't know what Truth Social is. Why did I, that horrify you? Just being that, just that there was not many people that want an app that doesn't um, kick people off? Is that what was, the, was just, what was the horrifying part? Well, I mean, I guess the the number being that large so quickly. I mean, this thing launched a week oh. ago, so I thought that well, was a that large horrifying? number. That's just a successful launch for an app. Yeah, it's weird that they're not letting people in. I wonder why they're not letting people in. Well, maybe I mean, maybe I it's mean, just Clubhouse, to build the FOMO. You remember Clubhouse built some FOMO sure. up um, by having invites, right? And making yeah. that, and then and then they got that. I think allegedly got a four billion dollar bid that they turned down. So. I'm not sure what that thing's worth now. Zero. Um, so I don't know if it's horrifying. It's, it's, I think it's a very successful launch, but that's not surprising given the interest in the president and certain um, right. you know people of, that want access to a, to a, an app or at least another app that gives them, that's not going to kick them off. I think As the real question... dealt with a lot of these um, consumer-facing apps in ventures. We know that Sometimes that building FOMO and that limited letting people in it, piecemeal is part of a go-to-market strategy, number one. And number two is a lot of times the technical infrastructure isn't necessarily there and they haven't tested at scale right. enough to well, jump in and say, okay, <laughs> like now we're going to have 50 million users like right, right. off the bat. That. That's not something that's necessarily possible. The other fascinating thing is there's there's obviously other apps like Parler that as you know, I'm not gonna bring up Maria Bartromo, but maybe Why? I should. Well, you just how, she was gonna leave Twitter. <laughs> I don't know how large this market is, um, but you're it's kind of getting segmented. And if they're gonna go to their cultural leader, then maybe it's it's gonna be probably negative for some of those other apps that were attempting um, to provide unfettered um, communication. For, for its users. So I don't know, that, that could be kind of a cannibalistic approach to some of the other things. We'll see how, the, how those those sites fare. The other question is when thing, the content... That's, well, that, I don't know. Oh, maybe you can't hear me. Can you hear me? We can. Go ahead. Oh, because I started talking and then Rich pulled a Brandon and it. it was like he didn't <laughs> even hear me. <laughs> well, you are coming... I was actually... But I was but just going to make a joke, add some yeah. levity to the situation and say I was waiting for Rich's tweet that everyone needs a truth strategy. Because you know how he, he tweets that about all of, all the other platforms. Everyone yeah. needs a TikTok strategy. But That's true. Rich, Where Rich is your everyone needs a truth strategy, Rich? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer. Rich, he's too, he's everyone too horrified about truth the 760,000. 
the, the, I think Rich question... maybe was watching CNN when I started talking, and then <laughs> and then he didn't realize I was talking. I don't I don't know what happened, but I guess I got okay. a taste of my own medicine. <laughs> Brendan, just so you know, because of your internet connection, you're a little delayed when you start talking versus when I hear you. So that's part okay. of the problem. Okay. So that's one. That's so that's well, one. But number two, well, number maybe two, I shut wish up. that I shut was up. in New York and had Charter or Comcast or something uh, else. Uh, 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 uh. The infrastructure no. here in Mexico isn't what it is in Italy. Next. Wait, hey, hey, hey. No, no, no. The, the only thing I was going to say. A good job at upgrading those fiber lines there. The, the question, the interesting question <laughs> is going to be. Carlos Slim. You know, the interesting I'm question not saying is going to be. Is, negative about you. I fear you. Go ahead. Is is this going to stay in the app store? Meaning, are they going to, are there, is there going to be content on this platform that causes it to be deplatformed within the first X number of months? That's the big question that's sitting out there, right? It's just, if this is anything goes, what does that actually mean? Well, so, I think we'll the other approach to that is is the fact that if Trump's on there, is it going to get deplatformed, regardless of what he says? I, that's what totally he, true. What too. if he says that the U.S. should immediately exit? Uh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that was coming. <laughs> that was like uh, I, I saw that for, coming from twenty four hours ago. Uh, okay, I'm, let's I'm move sure on. We should be celebrating as, as he had <laughs> as he had suggested. But yeah, I don't think we should be celebrating deplatforming anyway. Except in that's so what far that's what Putin's doing to anyone that protests the uh, have... the invasion of U- the Ukraine. What's the next line, Brendan? You we... want to tell us? All right, go ahead. Why don't you walk us through Activision and uh, Call of Duty? This is from Jason Schreier, who 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 did break this news scoop for the first time in two decades. Call of Duty will skip a year. Activision has delayed 2023's game, made by Treyarch, to 2024, sources tell Bloomberg. It's a shocking move that will have a massive impact on the franchise and the industry. So first of all, Treyarch was they're pretty much their most reliable studio and best studio, arguably, making Call of Duty games. Um, so this is shocking in that regard. There is going to be, I think, Warzone 2 this, this year, which will, you know, on the free-to-play side, which will make up for some of this. But my first reaction was those estimates that were in the proxy that we saw, it came out, I think it was last Sunday. <laughs> throw those, or, throw or, those or, out. Throw those out the window. Yeah. Because they, they had ATVI growing bookings year over year. And I think that would be an extremely difficult thing to do right now. By the way, another thing that came out of that, there is a significant jump year over year from 22 to 23, which indicates that at least when those um, projections were put together, they thought that uh, D4 and Overwatch 2 would probably come out in 2023. Yeah, that's, I'd be floored if that actually happened so you could you could definitely throw those out the window so do you think this is why bobby's i mean is this even more why activision sold it there's just it's not just management issues all the things that they were having this is i think this is a symptom um and the root cause was that there's turmoil broadly across activision blizzard um, maybe not king it seems like king has kind of been immune to this but definitely in Activision and Blizzard, lots of employee turnover, um, probably a bunch of staleness on ideas, which comes from the top to a certain extent. And but they sold because of the rot at the core, not because of any individual symptoms. Just more and more problems. By the way, did you read the proxy? It seemed like no one else really had interest buying this app. Oh, and by the way, did you see Zynga? The the, um, the go shop period on Zynga ended. A little. Yeah, that's a, that ended, and there was no buyer. And I don't. I think we have a slide actually later in this on uh, Playtika, but Playtika is now leaking to the Wall Street Journal. Sarah Needle, oh, you're pulling it up. Um, Sarah Needleman specifically. I'll just read it since you actually were quick to the trigger, Rich. Um, Playtika. I'm trying today. I'm trying. Yes, you're doing such a great job. That hand-eye coordination is killer. 
Like Tika said, it is exploring strategic alternatives for its business, including a possible sale amid a recent wave of industry consolidation. Um, in, in terms of mobile casual, we know what the problem is there. I mean, it's, it's ATT, IDFA, um, Google's coming solutions, even though they're talking about um, workarounds um, and putting them in place before they launch. It is very, very difficult to acquire and retain users now in this environment. And all of these mobile casual companies that were basically just spreadsheet LTV to CAC businesses are struggling mm-hmm. and looking for a way out. Zynga was you know, not, actually not the first to sell, but they were the biggest one to sell. And now Playtika is a pretty big company. Even after the sell-off, I think it's still, what, eight, eight and a half billion dollar asset um, that's out there. Who is going to be the buyer? That I'm not sure. You could see a scaled player, I don't know, in EA, if they want to get bigger and mobile combined with their current mobile assets, come in and make a play. Um, but I'm it's, not. It's just exactly interesting, sure Brandon. The natural buyer is here. But, Brandon, it's just interesting because there's been such a surge in gameplay and interest in gaming. And yet we're seeing everybody seemingly racing for the exits. And I know mobile versus console. Yeah, well, this, I was going to say, but, especially casual mobile. And you saw the massive sell-off in App Lovin, who had actually been the most immune to this, happen after they reported their Q4 earnings. I mean, there are really hard problems that need to get solved, and the ability to really work around them has, even with those who have massive first-party data, it's still it's still a challenge. And I think if you look at where the mobile business is going also, it's going away from this um, casual game and more towards what newer handsets and better connectivity, not in Mexico, allow, um, which is deeper gameplay, more um, graphical intensity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So speaking of um, businesses in need of some major changes, sports betting (laughs) is at the top of that list. segue. I'll give yeah. you a stem arrow, Rick. Um, no, Why sports Walt betting. Read this, since Walt has been the biggest beneficiary of this marketing spend. That would be great. Read the top tweet. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, it says Caesars to uh, dramatically curtail U.S. marketing spend on sports betting. This happened soon after the Super Bowl, when a few of us were able to benefit from their three thousand dollars promotions. So that was that was nice. Not surprising, obviously. A lot of people at the party, as I had mentioned before, were talking about the the money that they were getting. But Brandon, this this, wasn't even just cutting out like online ads. And this sounds like this is this is pretty broad. No, this is broad. I think on the call, um, Caesars management spoke to like you're not going to see television ads in established markets anymore. Like those are going away. They quote, accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. Now, the question is, are we going to start to see rationalization from the 15 other books that are out there, especially the ones at the top, um, whether it's a FanDuel or a DraftKings or an MGM? I think there's still too many players. I think there's still too many players. And so I don't think you're going to see a major scale back. I mean, it was interesting. Fubo earlier this week, they reported earnings. Press release barely talked about sports betting and they delayed their rollout because they don't want to compete with DraftKings and FanDuel until 2023, whatever that means. Um, It's just this space is this is just not a good business right now. And I think that's what investors have realized. And I think the companies are even starting to really rethink. And it's going to be interesting. Do we see consolidation? Does something have to happen with Fox or ESPN? Like, do we need to see sort of a transition in the business model of these companies for this to become a better business than it is right now? Because right now, the math just doesn't work. Sure does. And we've been Uh, talking about it for a long time. You're going to have books go away and some be consolidated. And uh, you'll have some rationalization over time. It's going to look a lot like the rideshare industry. Let's move on to YouTube. We've got a variety article that YouTube is moving their upfront. So they've always been during New Front Week, which is the digital week. 
Um, and they were always sort of the, it was called Brandcast as their event. And it was always sort of by far the biggest event of the new front week. It was really YouTube's event. And it was a, you know, they had all the advertisers. It was a big party in New York, et cetera. I would go. Um, and now they're moving it right into the middle of the TV upfront week, which is a couple of weeks later. So when you go see the new fall lineups for ABC and CBS, and it's just, you know, we've been talking about how YouTube is more and more about TV and more about TV ad dollars and why YouTube has been growing so fast. This is just, I mean, it, it, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like you start to think to yourself, like, it, it's hard to believe that they, they haven't done this before. But it's a pretty bold move, just trying to doing it and putting themselves right next to all of these TV upfronts. So I give I give YouTube credit for pushing the buttons of all of these big broadcast networks. It's going to be fun to watch them right in the middle of that week. I mean, it's interesting because when you look at what upfronts are, they were always a revelation of the next season's programming showing some of the scripted and unscripted, I guess, content that comes out. And that's what Upfront actually was. And then selling advertising against it. Where you have YouTube now, it, they're a company that isn't showing off that scripted because that's not what they're about. So it, it's it's just interesting. I, I mean, I don't really have... It's, a, it's actually a great observation. No, no. It's a really interesting observation, Brendan, because... YouTube a few years ago actually was doing some original programming and they would highlight that at the event. Now they've scrapped all of that. And really YouTube is obviously just what the users create all around the world for whether it's Mr. Beast or you name the person, but it's like, it, it, it is correct that there's nothing, they're not selling their content for the year ahead. They're just highlighting that this platform is TV to an entire generation. So just spend your ad dollars here. Forget about, which content, but this this is where the eyeballs are. It's totally turning the upfront on its head, yeah. which is a great observation. Yeah, Let's move on. That's all. Okay, next. We've got Netflix, and I think the, there, there's two things that really jump out on this slide. One is that Netflix eyeball. has a... Yeah, but I think two really jump out. You know, the, the fact that Netflix has a hit. You know, we keep saying like... Well, why, don't oh you, why don't you read the tweet about the hit? Because don't forget... Only about 20% uh, of our audience actually watches the rest of it. So Deadline Hollywood, Inventing Anna, scores most hours watched for an English language series since Netflix revised ratings. Remember, Squid Game was by far their biggest hit, but that was non-English. So this is their biggest, most watched show. We did the math. If you watch the, if, if we assume a household watched the entire thing already, 27 million household subscribers to Netflix have watched the whole thing. If they're halfway through the series in nine days, it's obviously 54 million um, households have watched half of it so far. Huge numbers for nine days since launch. And this is a Shonda Rhimes. And so it's like people are, people always seem to get surprised when Netflix has a hit. That's what's, you know, they never count yeah, on there being I, surprises. But Rich, but Rich, Shonda was paid hundreds of millions of dollars, at least a couple of hundred million dollars to make these hits. Right. 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 So it shouldn't be that surprising when Shonda produces a hit. It as opposed to, you know, Squid Game, which came from absolutely nowhere. Not that South Korea isn't nowhere. It's an important market. Um, but it completely off the radar. So Shonda's doing what Shonda needs to do. Oh. And Bridgerton comes back, I think, the last day of the quarter. So they've got this now helping Q1. They've got Bridgerton helping Q2. The content really builds into Q2. It's just interesting as everyone sort of just gave up on Netflix and was like, oh, the content isn't working. You know, they can't manufacture as many hits. And here you go. Once again, something out of nowhere. But the other thing on this slide that I thought was unique or you know interesting, similar in terms of like we, we hear the same themes over and over again. There's an FT article that came out this week saying Netflix ambitions to find 100 million subscribers from India look like hubris when it's only attracted five and a half million subscribers in the country. And it's whatever been four or five years. Um, and, you know, part of me goes, sure, India hasn't been as successful. They just cut price recently. It has definitely not been successful to date. Walt always has a negative view of anyone trying to build the business in India. But 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 the reality is people said Netflix in Latin America was going to be a failure because they were struggling. Netflix in Japan was going to be a failure. Netflix in France and Germany was a failure. Like we've heard this theme yeah. of okay, I'm going to interrupt you there. So to to try and compare Latin America to India is ridiculous. So people have said that in the past. 
And they were wrong because Latin America is a very, very different market than India. It just is like, just look at the numbers. Like there's plenty of numbers to support this and how the, how industry and how businesses work in that country. You just, they're just not comparative at all. So to say that like, just because you're successful in Latin America, you're going to be successful in India is not right. It just isn't. I think, I think one thing to back you on that, Walt, is that people in Latin America had a history of paying for video content. There was actually, and you think about businesses like Globo or DTV Latin there America. There's so many differences between Latin America and India that, that we can't, we don't have enough uh, time on this podcast to, to delineate. But bottom line is that headline is 100% right. When I listen to Rich talk about this, it is hubris to think that if you're successful in Latin America, that you can be successful in India. It's hubris. We're going to find out. I mean, the reality is yes, Amazon's been, yeah, I'm saying Amazon's been more successful in India with content than yeah, Netflix why, has. Why is, why, why is that, Rich? It, that is interesting because it's not like Netflix hasn't focused on this market. This was a key market initiative for them. But, and, but even Amazon, how big has Amazon actually gotten in the market? It, it multiples the size of Netflix. It's certainly multiples the size of Netflix. Right. It, is there offering bundled with something else? Well, because it's bundled with shopping. Netflix, shopping. Uh, there, there you go. In the case of Netflix, it is the ability to get consumers to pay discreetly high prices for video content Correct. specifically. Amazon is not just video content. Correct. I agree with that. So consumers there are used to paying for shopping and shopping convenience. So it is a little bit of apples and oranges. Now, the one that in that market that has been very successful is Hotstar. But Hotstar has extremely low prices. Extremely low. Nowhere even in the realm of, of what Netflix pricing is. And they have the IPL, which maybe not for long. Right. And we'll see where that goes. If it goes to Amazon, then that would obviously be crazy in terms of what it would do to there Amazon. There were actually, while you're pulling up the next topic, I think that is an important point to make, that there are there was an article that came out this week with the bidders in the market. Reliance is apparently there. Amazon is apparently there. So this isn't necessarily Disney's to kind of walk away with despite the fact that Christine implied that the reports out there on pricing um, may have been leaked or inaccurate to drive up price. That's all. Yeah, it's going to be Next. fascinating to watch. Uh, moving on, we've got Facebook, or sorry, I keep calling it Facebook, but Meta, this is a Verge article, Meta announces plans, this is Zuckerberg did a live Facebook Live, plans to build an AI-powered universal speech translator. Yeah. So essentially, they're sort of, I guess, teasing how they are thinking about building the or putting in place the building blocks for the metaverse so that real-time translation so anybody anywhere in the world can talk to anybody else and it automatically live you know live voice wise translates what you're saying so it sounds amazing and obviously an important building block for the metaverse uh, whether it's you know i i know to me it seems like that's something google would normally be building but it'll be interesting how facebook does in, in that category or even in amazon which obviously has all of alexa and all of that voice recognition just interesting how you know facebook is trying to or meta is trying to put in place and show investors clearly how they're trying to build the build the guts of the metaverse well what you just described is technology that's existed for some time that they're just applying to the metaverse. So I'm not sure why this is some like really interesting thing, but like, you know, quick translations have, have been around. I've seen this displayed many, many times, like whatever. Okay. Of course you're going to put that in the metaverse. So you can expand the global market and how people can communicate. Big deal. I just think what's interesting about it is when you go from communication in person or even over zoom to hiding behind an avatar you can change voice and you can have translation that is actually natural to the situation that you're in so you get universal communication in absolute real time no matter what and i think it's one of the better use cases of sort of the metaverse interactivity and zuck has said continuously 
that the entire company mission is bringing people together and bringing community together and communications in a way um, that kind of like lowers the barrier between people. And this is an example of that happening, Um, whatever. (laughs) It's just one of those, it's just one of those dumb examples that CEOs throw out there, like remote surgery or autonomy or whatever it is that like, it sounds buzzy and new, but it's like, it's kind of out there already. And it's just like, okay, big fucking deal. Let's go on. That's not going to, that's not going to make the metaverse win or lose. I, but I actually think it, 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 is a reason why the metaverse and sort of 3D interactive communication becomes better than real life communication. Just that ability to have everybody speaking essentially the same language, not needing translation, translators, everything happening in real time, and it feeling natural to the conversation in which you're in. That's all. Next. Explosions in the sky, Rick. Oh my God. Okay, hold on. We've got the next one is uh, I don't know if this is your story, but it's Reddit has finally shut down video platform Dub Smash less than two years after buying it. Now, the pitch is basically that the video technology of Dub Smash is just being rolled in and becoming sort of the video. Reddit, obviously, very text based, very picture based trying to morph as they seek to go public this year. And I think, you know, they've hired um, a CFO who used to be at uh, Drew Valero, who used to be at Snapchat. Obviously, this is not the market environment for a new um, tech company that would want to be public, I presume, given the collapse in valuations. But the reality is they are trying to make them sort more video centric. So the pitch here is this was just because they're folding the technology in. I wonder, though, because I remember back in our meetings, I don't remember that sort of being the core focus. I remember them thinking that they could sort of build this into sort of more of a TikTok competitor. So it seems like a little bit of revisionist history that this is just going to be the video player of Reddit. Uh, you know, I don't know what your perception is, Brandon, but that's certainly not what I remember when they bought it. Yeah, I mean, we actually had a light shed premium access with the entire um, Reddit team, with Reddit management, with um, Smash management. And this is not the direction it was going at that time, but obviously companies pivot as they get more information. I think TikTok has become much more dominant and tougher to penetrate, especially when you have other players like Facebook and like Google and Snap trying to do things to directly compete there. And so they pivoted, you know, no harm, no foul. They did what they're supposed to do, which is as new information evolves, you kind of move on and change it. But the amazing thing is, is now Triller, which is another TikTok competitor, <laughs> trying, trying, to go pu- trying to go public. They put their IPO or where their reverse merger into this sea chain shell company out yesterday. And all I could think about is how long do we hear before Triller shuts down or Triller gives up? Because I, I just don't even see the business model relative to how you compete. I mean, Facebook is struggling now relative to TikTok. The thought that Triller with no capital base is going to compete is beyond laughable, but we don't have to belabor this point. I just think it's comical. I, I um, think the uh, the key word in your little diatribe there was shell. It being yes. a shell company. <laughs> whatever. Ridiculous. That's all. Next. <laughs> um, the streamable has Amazon looking to broadcast an NFL game on Black Friday. Uh, I guess, versus, you know, normally having games on, obviously, on Thanksgiving. Um, doing it on Black Friday would be interesting, just as Amazon using it as the way, I assume, to drive sales and to really drive and connect the dots between their retail business and their media business. And I, I don't know whether this is going to happen. It's an interesting question for the NFL, but it certainly shows how Amazon is rethinking how you make money off of the NFL, you know, you mentioned the word loss leader, I think before Brandon, how do they think about, you know, NFL content driving other parts of their business, which is very scary if you're a traditional media company and you have to make money discreetly off of content. I don't, to me, it, it seems like just a weird, forget about Amazon, but just to talk about the NFL before we have a Sunday ticket package, it just, I don't know. Seems kind of bizarre. Like, is there something going on with that? I don't know. Would the Super Bowl happen? Look, we thought it was going to happen before the Super Bowl. Now it's post Super Bowl. I don't. It's weird. It's just weird that there's just you know. I care less about Black Friday. Like, where is Sunday ticket ending up? 
Like that's that's what everyone. Why is that not the top priority right now? Why is it not happening? For you know, to me, I mean, do I think there's more parties interested? Sure, I do think there's more interest, and maybe it's because there actually is getting more competitive. I mean, you've probably got. My guess is you have three real players. You've got ESPN Plus, Amazon Prime, or Prime Video, and you've got Apple. I'm betting on Apple, but we'll see. I don't know. But I, my bet, my gut tells me it's going to be Apple. So let's just not talk about anything NFL related and not give anyone any, you know, not shine a light on anything NFL until we see Sunday ticket. Because this Black Friday is boring. Sorry. They're being sanctioned. They're, you're being uh, sanctioned. Sorry, NFL. You're no longer going to appear on our podcast until you sign a Sunday ticket deal. Um, Billboard's got an article. Spotify <laughs> standalone. Do a light shed. Uh, you know, premium access or a light. We'll talk about where the Sunday ticket deal is. Then you could come on. (laughs) Spotify standalone smart player for cars. It's called car thing is hitting the road in the U S. And so they're actually, they've been, this product's been in beta for a while. I've used it. Uh, I actually used it down on when I was down on a Caribbean Island where I had an old Jeep that had no technology and it actually worked incredibly well. It was super easy. Syncs directly with Spotify made, made an old car a smart car instantly. It's almost like it almost reminded me, Brandon, of putting a Roku onto an old television and why that was such a good experience. This just turned an old car into something that worked really seamlessly versus having to have your phone out all the time. It was built for audio. And so I don't know if this is a huge deal, but I do think it's just interesting as Spotify just trying to, again, I don't think this is about America nearly as much as this is about global. Of course not. They're looking at the world. (laughs) Correct. But this is more looking at the rest of the world going, how do we get more cars, more people where they use audio, which is when they drive? How do we make that experience better? Doesn't everyone have their phone out anyway because of GPS and everything else? I mean, I haven't seen one car yet that doesn't have a phone cradle in the the vent of the car. So the average life of a car is, and we know this from covering Siri, is about you know, 17 to 20 years. So there are still plenty of non-smart cars that are on the road. And this fills a need for those particular um, cars. And, you know, as advertising is becoming for sort of the free version of Spotify is becoming more of a driver. It's more important, I think, to get those kind of down market users onto the service, whether it's kind of country by country or even within your more established ad markets. I mean, the one thing on Spotify is though, I I looked at the stock price this morning and the stock four years later is actually where it was, I think, the day that they listed. And the thing that's amazing to me is you've had all of this um, growth in value among the content companies, the labels that that Spotify has enabled, but that value hasn't really accreted to the platform over the last four years. And I know the market popped and dropped. And so you're looking at things like kind of on a low, but I mean, four years, the the S&P is still up pretty significantly over that period. And Spotify isn't. And, and the story is better. The story is so much better than it was four years ago. That's the crazy part. Like it's a better, stronger story. Like the I growth in the platform, the competitive are, landscape. I think parts of it are and parts of it aren't. I think one of like the biggest and quickest driver from them for them from a margin perspective is to get the labels to give in a little bit um, um, to help their gross margin. And we haven't really seen that probably play out in a way that we had modeled at the time. However, the ad business is definitely um, much stronger, how they're handling um, kind of the free side of things. And this whole podcast initiative um, is well, well underway and wasn't at the time. So we've, we've got a slide from Offball announcing Sinclair Plans Valley Sports D2C soft launch in the first half of 2022, full launch in the second half prior to the start of the NBA and NHL seasons. We've been talking about this for a while, but they're actually going to do it. It sounds like the price point will be somewhere around $20 a month, so you can watch your RSN direct. My biggest thing is still, who is the market for this? Because 
who doesn't subscribe to pay television, but wants their local RSN. It just feels like the market for this is very, very slim um, because most diehard sports fans who would want their RSN want ESPN, want ABC, want Fox Sports. So who, the real question is, is and I know they're mod, I've seen the, the Sinclair model for D to C for Bally and the millions of subscribers that they think. I just honestly cannot figure out who the subscriber to this is. Not to mention, right. it, it's also poking the bear on Charter. They have a Charter renewal, and Charter is going to extract a meaningful pound of flesh. Tom Rutledge is not a good no, person I to mean, negotiate with. Char we have Charter has not really been that aggressive. Um, they don't drop anyone, right? They've continuously you know, done deals with the likes of MSG Networks. I know there's a close relationship there. Um, at higher but MSG higher hasn't gone direct to consumer. Well, they are going direct to consumer, and I believe that there may be a renewal at the end of this year. Not positive, but um, I think that's possible. It'll be interesting to see. It seems like what Charter really wants, though, is flexibility more than anything, such that if um, a direct-to-consumer service does take start to take meaningful share, they can um, repackage things a little bit. Um, and it's going to be kind of a wait and see game uh, until that until that point. But we'll see. We'll know in I don't know a few weeks. Brandon, you want to read our last slide? Kanye West on the Two Experience will be available on IMAX. Kanye West two hundred dollar stem player will be the only way to get his new album done too. What is a stem player? Uh, that is, I don't know, like kind of like a an MP three player, I think. That no, came seriously, yeah, seriously, preloaded um, with his album. And so, if you go and look on Spotify, it is not there. Now, I thought what was oops, I just spelled what was most interesting um, about the, the whole uh, the two release was watching Elon um, with Rick Ross backstage at the show on social. I actually happened to have been like four miles from that show and decided not to go. Why? I don't know. I was, I was invited to see it in IMAX, but I wasn't really sure why I wanted yeah, to see IMAX. a concert at an IMAX. I mean, they sold out everywhere across the country I, that I they did it. I once, I once saw a concert in, um, in the movie theater. What did I, you think I, of I've the experience? I've done it a couple of times. I don't know. I'd rather watch it on my couch, but it wasn't in IMAX. Well, know, people maybe, talking about this maybe in you Italy. Can see the artist nose hairs if you see it like on IMAX, as opposed to just their like, I don't know, ears or whatever. Was anyone talking about this in Italy, Walt? I don't speak Italian. <laughs> you just eat the Italian food. Has the food been amazing? Uh, everything's great in Italy. You're not coming home. You're staying. Yeah, when are you? I passed my COVID test. Oh. So or hopefully, or test. maybe you feel like hopefully you don't. Maybe, maybe I'll just head over to Barcelona. <laughs> Check out Amazon again. Um, there are. It's there have been a bunch of articles about IMAX brand and doing a whole series of films and try, or try a whole series of concerts now to replicate this. And I, I don't know whether it'll work, but it's an interesting use right, of IMAX. Well, let's, let's let's see what the numbers shake out to be. That's all. Like how I much mean, do they actually make off of this? Everyone's very interested in the live music experience now. Not everyone can afford to go to. And there are events that are in certain markets and not in others, particularly festivals. So maybe there is a use case there. I think the hardest thing about, you know, on a relative basis, uh, not to be kind of like banal about it, but, uh, you know, you're at a show, you can party, you're in an IMAX theater, you can't really party and you're stuck in, right. you know, kind of a tight seat. So. Yeah. yeah, I know laws have moved up a little bit in general, but I don't think they're that. Anyway, thank you, That's... everybody, for attending the 95th episode of the Light Shed Podcast. Have a wonderful week, and we will all see you from the straight state of New York next week.